Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Owen and Murph. If you're looking for an in-depth preview of Ireland versus Sweden and Ken Early's eyewitness account of the violence in Marseille, well, you've come to the wrong place because all that stuff is in Monday's Euros pod, which I is out you there. like to mix it up, Owen, but really? Within two seconds of the start of a podcast? There was only I, so much we could oh, fit in there, though, Murph. Yeah, There's more to talk about. There's more, even before we get on to all the other... Genuinely crazy stuff that happened this weekend. Mm. We didn't have a chance to reflect on the unlikely German goal-scoring hero against Ukraine last night. Oh, the the guy who sprinted eighty yards and finished expertly to the net. Young Bastian Schweinsteiger, Murph. Ooh, young young player with a point to prove. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he his looked. Name uh, the, go on. Yeah. Uh, his celebration. We were watching the game together, and we both we both noticed this. His <laughs> celebratory sprint to the corner was less of a sprint and more a sort of. A, trot, a gallop? No, it's not a gallop, but more of a trot. Yeah, trot's a good word. I don't know if, in the long run, scoring that goal is going to do much for the image, the physical image of Bastian Schweinsteiger at this tournament. He looked like that was a full sprint, but he, it, was a, it was a younger footballer's trot. Yeah, he was chugging along at a rather sedate pace. With nobody else fully joining in the celebration. No. I think everyone else was sort of thinking it was the second goal. Bastian, it was the second goal. Although, in fairness, Lucas Podolski, I mean, he was there on hand. He really got stuck into the celebration at the end. Well, I mean, it goes back a long, a long way. I'll, I'll take you back ten years. Yeah. To Germany hosting the the World Cup, and of course the fun faction. Uh, I mean, I've 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 done some exhaustive research here, uh, Owen, because it kind of seemed like there has to be more than two people in a fun faction. Well, a faction by rights, I would have thought. Yeah, but I think three plus. Yeah, so uh, uh, I've read some um, uh, some match reports from the time, some reports from the World Cup at the time. Uh, Schweinsteiger and Podolski are described as the leaders of a group of young players known as the fun faction in the German squad. Other uh, members of the German squad from around that time, Philip Lamb and Per Mertesacker, neither, <laughs> n- neither of which you'd, neither of whom you'd describe really as you know, the bubbliest characters in the world, I wouldn't have thought. 
I mean, I, I think if it, if it's a fun faction, I think this is kind of the the rest of the fun faction where basically the people who are laughing at Schweini and Podolsky's hilarious uh, Germanic antics. A little like our three amigos plus the younger Roy Keane at the yeah. 1994. No one was, yeah, no one really was getting him involved. Yeah, Podolsky Pidol- <laughs> and Schweinsteiger last night, Schweinsteiger in particular, reminded me of a, a movie I watched a couple of years back, Murph. Was uh, no evil, see no evil with uh, Gene Wilder and uh, Richard Pryor. Oof, no, Stand Up Guys, starring Al Pacino and Christopher Walken. You may not have heard of this one, even though I know you know your movies. I have not. A pair of um, I was trying to. I was going to describe myself, and then I thought, no, I think a short, sharp IMDb description should do the job yeah. here. A pair of aging stick-up men try to get the old gang back together for one last hurrah before one of the guys takes his last assignment to kill his comrade. <laughs> <laughs> It is worse than it sounds. The movie's worse than it sounds. Christopher Walken's career should have ended there and then. Pacino, ah, you know Pacino. Love he it. was crap in it as well, but he was still quite good. Yeah, so better than most other actors would ever uh, be. But I, no, well, Christopher Walken's, you could, at one stage I was waiting for him nerdy to, is, there gonna be, is this one of these break down the, what do you call it, the, when the, you, talk, you talk directly into camera? Break the down. break down the fourth wall. That's the one, yeah. I thought yeah. he might just turn and go, Come on, guys, this is a joke. I mean, this I'm like, building I'm not... a conservatory, okay? Yeah. So sue me. <laughs> sue me, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, it reminded me a little bit. It's just Podolsky and, and uh, Schweinsteiger, just the, the two old guys. I, 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 to get, I, get I don't want to labour the whole stand-up guys uh, tangent here, yeah. but what were the circumstances under which you watched this movie? I mean, was it an air, air, uh, long, long-haul airplane flight? Or not or? a million miles off. It was a relaxing weekend. Yeah. Uh, no, a relaxing week in the Cotswolds. Okay. That I shared with my uh, fiancé. Three DVDs left in the... Yeah, that's what it was. There were, there were a load of... No, I think maybe we had Sky Movies. We don't have Sky Movies at home. We thought, we'll, we'll, we'll watch some stuff. And it was also in the Cotswolds in early January. So beautiful, pretty, but you're kind of stuck in your rented home for the week quite a lot as well. Uh, there's, it's not necessarily... Uh, you know, Listen, not, we've had a great time, love, but we'll probably go back to Magalow. Well, no. <laughs> well, no, it's kind of uh, like... Lesson learned. The little, the little village we're in, it's, it's, the, it's Mary, Mary, where Mary Arden grew up, apparently, and they've got this working farm, this working Tudor farm. Obviously closed in January. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, Who'd come here in January? Very pretty local <laughs> pub, the Pig and Whistle or something along those lines. Yeah. Sounds amazing. It's January, nobody's drinking, so there's nobody in the pub. So we were at home watching a lot of movies, and that was one that we came okay. on. Okay, Al Pacino had just come out of jail, if you must know, Murph. And he didn't want to get dragged into one more hit, no. but he thought, you know, Christopher Walken, he's so convincing. I felt Maybe like, it was the other I way around. I felt really. like I should have asked the question, but I really regret it now. Thankfully, the weekend gave us so much more besides the fun faction. It was as if the world of sport realised that it had to up its game <laughs> yeah. seriously to get any kind, of, uh, any kind of coverage. The big shock of the GA season was Cork. Turfing out the being turfed out, I should say, the Munster Football Championship by tip. We'll talk to Oshie McConville about that. But Simon, the Ireland under 20s beating New Zealand, and a few hours later, Ireland's first ever win against no, was it a separate day? Oh, the same weekend, day. same day, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ireland's first ever win against South Africa in South Africa. Sure, it's only a friendly. I did get one person tweeting me that. Ah, oh, come on, it's a friendly. What, test, would, you, what would you say? Test to that match on, that's what rugby people call <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah. and that gives a little more uh, gravitas. Well, it does, and in fairness, if people. Considering even when we win Six Nations now, apparently that's not enough because the World Cup is the only thing that matters. If we're going by that logic, we, if, if the only tournament that matters is every four years, we might as well place, we might as well enjoy these wins we get in the, in the so-called inconsequential matches in between. Well, no, yeah, but seriously, r- it was Rugby's huge. just different to other yeah, sports in that yeah. these games have always been important and you pick your strongest team and the fans care and the media care. Because yeah, there are no qualification, there are no qualification yeah. tournaments. So there's no competitive games outside the major tournaments. So you've got 
yeah, you've, you know, you've got matches like this, which are huge. And also the circumstances of this win, I think, is really what got people excited. Yeah, I mean, this was looking like a terrible season, really, from an Irish context. Then the Connacht thing happened, as we talked about. Uh, then the under-20s get their win, and then Ireland get this win. And it just changes the whole complexion of how you think about the last season. Uh, you know, England beat Australia comprehensively earlier that day as well. And, you know, England winning the Six Nations, it doesn't look so bad to come third to them. So you're thinking differently about everything in the past and you're thinking differently about everything in the future, about Ireland now. A lot of the selections and a lot of the guys who really proved themselves, they came about because of injuries. And that's the one little thing I'd have about, you know, Joe Schmidt, tons of praise. Almost every player played to his full potential. But, you know, Jared Payne, Marshall, uh, Henderson, possibly. There was a few in there. Jordy Murphy, they wouldn't have got picked if there hadn't been injuries elsewhere. Ah, well, Henderson gets picked. Not necessarily. He, he wasn't always get, he, like he was playing well for a long time for Ulster before he was getting picked. Ah, uh, he did start in the World Cup though. Until well, Devon Toner and Paul O'Connor would have played in the World Cup. Yeah, I was calling for Ian Henderson to play ahead of Devon Toner, but Devon Toner had his best ever game for Ireland at the weekend as well. Anyway, they're kind of there are sides a little bit to put this in context. South Africa had a winning record against New Zealand before professional rugby started. Uh, the only country to do so. Um, New Zealand never won a test series against them in South Africa until 1996, I think it was. They've won two World Cups. Uh, they got to semi-final the last World Cup. At home, they're just a different animal as well. Ireland lost six or seven key players to injury. England have never won a series down there, apparently. Still never won, yeah. have they not? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a load of things that went into this game that you're thinking a narrow loss or, you know, a decent performance and would just build towards the autumn or the next season. And everybody would have been pretty satisfied with that. To then, you know, lose a man to a red card, to lose to another, to a yellow card, an immediate try, then just you're thinking the worst thing possible. Yeah, for people who didn't see the game, who were wrapped up in the Euros or whatever else, we'll talk about CJ Standards, Standards' red card, there's a lot of controversy over that. That was after about 20-odd minutes. It was yep. in the middle of the first half. Robbie Henshaw got yellow carded in the process of Ireland conceding a try. So they were starting, and I think that might have leveled up the scores at that stage. Maybe there was three points. Anyway, the, the scores were in and around level at that point. Ireland have just gone down to 13 men, which in rugby is a crazy disadvantage. Like usually when a team is sin-binned, when one player is sin-binned, the other team tends to put a few points on the board. I know there's debate about the, the exact amount. I mean, there's supposedly you should put a certain amount of uh, points on the board. There's actually an period. official stat out there and it's something so like, like teams are, are plus seven or yeah, plus something six. Along yeah. those lines. But certainly with when you're playing against 13 men or playing with 13 men against 15 South Africans away, it's incredible. I was actually thinking at that stage you nearly have to limit the damage here. Don't get too many injuries. Just try and try and not lose by 30 points and uh, take it into the second test, you know, because you've shown enough in the first 20 minutes that you can actually challenge these guys. But uh, anyway, unbelievable when uh, Jerry Thornley witnessed it in Cape Town. He's now landed in Johannesburg. Jerry, the headline in your piece on the front page of the Irish Times Sports section, historic win, sure, but gruelling series has a long way to go. Um, let's focus this chat more on the historic win and the gruelling series, if you don't mind. What a day. Astonishing, really astonishing. Like, um, there was a few straws in the wind that this was going to be a big performance. One or two people, you know, close to the camp thought they were going to win. One player told me they were going to win and had warned me this weeks ago from now on. He was the first player I met afterwards. Once I said, was, he said, you're going to listen to me in future. I said, yeah, damn right I will. Um, and so the way they started and everything else um, was good. Good try. 
10-3 up. They silenced the crowd by keeping the ball as well as they did. And it was, um, it looked, and then it all seemed with that CJ stand, you, my mind immediately went back to Jamie Heaslip in 2010. And okay, these, are, these box are certainly not the first cousins of the All Blacks that day in New Plymouth. But even so, you think nearly an hour with 14 men away to the Africa country, Ireland have never won before. You think, well, there's very little chance here. And then when they go 13-10 down effectively and lose Robbie Henshaw to go down to 13 men for eight minutes before half time. I've checked since. Apparently, you could get Ireland to win that game at 33-1 to at that juncture. I'm surprised the odds weren't even longer. You certainly didn't give them a huge amount of hope at that point. Incredibly, they go and win the next eight minutes 3-0. Use the touchline as their friend and hang on. I think that was key, denying the box a try just before the interval, the last play of the first half. Come out, take the lead, and then... In a weird, weird way, you just start to believe more and more and more. And almost like in the last 10 minutes, they're just not going to let this go. Even when they got back to 23-20, it was just, it was hard to think of a bigger one-off win um, in the history of Irish rugby, given, I mean, the only thing that could top it now would be beating the All Blacks and they get two shots of that later in the year. But uh, as a one-off win with 14 men away to South Africa, and many of the box were very, very poor. It was just extraordinary. It wasn't the most intimidating of atmospheres, Newlands. Like I wrote in my report, at one point they were still losing by seven points and the crowd did a Mexican wave with 20 minutes to go and you're thinking, they're not taking this crisis very seriously in the stands anyway. Um, and maybe they'd lull the box into a false sense of security, but, but I thought of, a, thought of an excellent performance. They got a huge, huge lift. As often is the case with new coaches come in from Andy Farrell, the defence, was the, the line speed, the aggression. Uh, there's no doubt the box ran very laterally and they used their touchline very cleverly as a friend and to defend at times in the way that they read the drift that they had to. And, you know, when you think that Paddy Jackson hit the post with one penalty, shaved the post with another drop goal attempt, and one of the box tries was an intercept try, you'd have to say that on balance of play, they probably deserved the win as well, which is most extraordinary. It did, there's so much to it, I could go on forever. It was just, it was great to be there, it really was. Yeah, if you take out the red card and before that, Ireland were playing really well. I thought we're looking like they were going to dominate the Springboks. Ireland yeah. really, they could have won this game by 20 points. I mean, they essentially outplayed South Africa when you take away the 14 men factor. You look at the stats, and okay, with 15 against 14, as you'd expect, South Africa had more of the ball, they carried more, they had more carries, um, they actually, you know, Ireland missed more tackles, actually, 19 missed tackles, it just shows you how well they worked for each other in scramble, and then Ireland won nine turnovers to one, their work at the breakdown was extraordinary, they, they, I think the box only managed one turnover, that, that one from Francis Lowe for the, for the, Francois Lowe for the penalty in the first half, otherwise Ireland just protected the ball really well. Won, won a few turnovers, poaches themselves, a couple of choke tackles. They were just an, an excellent performance, and they made more line breaks. So there was more, there was much more of a cutting edge to them. They, they had some good strike plays. They used the width of the pitch very well. There was some offloading. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, a, and I'd have to say that there was fresh energy in the team. Um, no doubt about it. Ian Henderson, Luke Marshall, Paddy Jackson, Jordy Murphy, none of them had played. Um, I think, you know, Jared Payne moving to fullback probably assisted matters. He played, he played extraordinarily well. Scored one try. Big hand, literally, in the second try. Good on the high ball bar one. Um, and by all accounts, as you'd expect, we, we never appreciate the full value of Jared Payne uh, in what we just in what we see, but in his uh, composure on the, on the ground, his leadership from the back. And that was another thing as well. You know, it seemed like there might be a leadership void with no... Johnny Sexton there, on top of us, we know, losing Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell in latter years, Sean O'Brien, a one-time Irish captain. There was, but a, J- Joe Schmidt had spoken beforehand about when a team loses a lot of alpha males, it's time for others to step up. And Rory Best was sensational. A couple of huge plays in the second half, really led from the front. Um, 
Jack McGrath, just it's ridiculous what that prop gets through for over an 80 course of 80 minutes. Leading carrier, leading tackler, it's just a phenomenal effort from him. You know, as ever, Jamie, he's a great worker, but there was real energy running through the team and real leadership. It was a nice balance, it worked well. And um, yeah, you're right, they were just they could you wonder how much the red card affected the game in terms of it seemed to really galvanize Ireland and maybe it, like I said, it lulled the box a little bit into a false sense of security, but. You'd have to think that when I when you add in those those six points that were just missed and the intercept try and the red card, wow, um, Ireland could actually have won this conceivably by more. They were that much the better team of the day. Jerry, because this is in the summer, uh, because the Euros are on, because it's South Africa as opposed to, say, New Zealand and Australia, who have a little more glamour, certainly in the minds, I think, of Irish fans, this one might get lost a little bit. But just to put it in context... This was a, an Ireland team populated mainly by Ulster players who'd just been demolished by Leinster in a Rabo semi-final. South Africa pushed New Zealand closer than any other nation in the last World Cup, 2018 in the semi-final. Two World Cups. Don't lose games at home generally, even against New Zealand, never against Ireland. I mean, in terms of our history, in terms of one-off victories, where do you place it? Well, it's very hard to gauge. I mean, how do you compare with something like what happened in the 1940s? You probably go by more recent memory, say professional age. I don't think, I think you have to rate it as the biggest one-off win. I think winning a Grand Slam in the dramatic manner they did to complete a five-match winning sequence in the Six Nations for the first time since the 40s by beating Wales in Millennium Stadium is a bigger day in Irish rugby history. But this is beating the Springboks away in South Africa. It's therefore probably a better achievement than beating Australia in Eden Park in the World Cup, albeit that was a World Cup match, so it's a bigger match, you have to say. But as a one-off win, I don't think you can say there's any, been any bigger and it would have claims to be the best because Ireland have never, ever won in South Africa. It's a very difficult place to win for any team. I mean, the challenge now would be to win a series. Uh, I think the Lions have only done that four times in 13 attempts. The, the All Blacks have only done it once themselves and took them uh, six goals to do it. Um, and uh, France have done it a couple of times as well. But England have never done it. Australia have never done it. So it's, 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 a, pretty, it's a pretty remarkable one-off team. It's hard to equate in history, Simon, but I think you'd have to say as a one-off win, you can't say there's been a bigger one. There were so many big moments within it, Jerry. You said it there, there's... there's so much went on. A lot of it summed up maybe by the last play of the game. Four Irish players queuing up to put Peterson into touch. And one of those players, I think was Paddy Jackson, if I remember correctly, who'd made a couple of mistakes late on. I mean, he'd thrown that intercept pass. He'd missed a drop goal, having kicked one earlier on. And yet he kept ahead to, to keep doing what he was doing. Payne was another player who was bundling Peterson over at the end. He was ridiculous. You mentioned him earlier on, but maybe it's worth just... Um, hovering over that point for a second because he's a player who has been maligned a bit at outside centre. Certainly at full back, he looked world-class. Well, I don't know we've said it to, about him before. The one hallmark of Jared Payne, whenever you see him play for Ulster and for Ireland, is he always seems to have time in the ball. And that's the mark of a class player. He, oh, he never seems hassle-afraid. He always seems to have time. He makes really good decisions in the ball. Uh, credit to Robbie Henshaw too. He was involved in that last tackle. Apparently for the pain try, it was actually Henshaw's shout for the little grubber from Luke Marshall, um, who had a fi- fabulous match as well. And Payne converted that chance into try. Then that little one-handed out the door pass, back at the back door pass to um, Andrew Trimble uh, before Rory Best continued to move on. And this led to Conor Murray's try. And what a weapon he's becoming now. Fifth try in eight games for Ireland. Um, but he gives Payne gives the team real composure and leadership on the ground, and 
he's had a run of games now for Ulster at fullback. So at the moment, fullback's his position. And it's completely vindicated Joe Schmidt's selection as well of playing him at fullback in the, in the absence of Rob Kearney and keeping him, moving Henshaw from 12 to 13, where he's been playing for Connacht and just converting Luke Marshall from an outside centre to an inside centre. <clears throat> and a lot of people were clamouring for uh, Stuart McCloskey being um, brought out here and would to be picked in this game and trying to con it outside backs or whatever else. But you'd have to say all those selections were thoroughly vindicated in yet another game which had the hallmark of the Joe Schmidt factor. You can never un under underestimate how much Joe Schmidt can prepare a team for a game. Andy Farrell gave them a big boost. But yeah, you're right. Payne had a big game. It, it, and I think you have to give Jackson a lot of credit for having thrown out the intercept pass to then have the composure to nail the subsequent penalty unerringly struck. I mean, he, he got all bar one which was, and the one he missed was from halfway that hit the post. So his kicking off the tee was really good. His kicking, his and Conor Murray's kicking out of hand was very good. He varied his game nicely. He passed beautifully. He always did, and he made all his thirteen tackles. We keep saying, I keep saying about Paddy Jackson, he's a wonderful defender at ten. He's got big, big men running down his channel, and he stopped them in their tracks all the time. So, I think he came of age very much now. And sorry, it's a big, big win for him. Uh, and it has a lot of connotations for that because, you know, the, we need backup to John, Ireland, Irish rugby needs backup to Johnny Sexton and his season with Ulster. He came into this on back of good form. So did Payne. I think, yeah, Payne was a Payne who twisted Peterson the tackle. Henshaw went low on him and then Paddy Jackson came in to make him go over the touchline. It was so uncannily like that November 2013 end game with the last play of the game, with the clock turned red when... Was it Ryan Crotty scored in the corner, um, and then Aaron Cruden nailed the twice-taken touchdown conversion to win the match. And the difference was this time the three lads bundled Peterson into touch, and it was probably South Africa's one coherent um, passage of play in the game. They were guilty of running laterally an awful lot and allowing the Irish defence to use the touchline as their friend, as another defender when they were down numbers. And and that one spell of the game, they actually got it right. But uh, Ireland kept working for each other and kept their shape defensive again with 14 men. It was uh, it was kind of like a fitting, a fittingly last defiant act to win the game. You mentioned Joe Schmidt there, and he has to come in for a lot of praise, I think, for the game plan and for what they may have done at halftime as well. But a lot of those selections were forced by injury. You mentioned Jared Payne at fullback, uh, Marshall in the centre, Paddy Jackson, maybe even the likes of Ian Henderson. He wasn't necessarily getting picked every time he was fit. And they were absolute superstars on the day. This often happens in rugby. An injury or two happens. A guy comes in and then that's it for the next few years. But, you know, do you, does it take away a little bit of praise for Joe Schmidt, the fact that so many of those probably wouldn't have played? Nah, I don't really think so. I think Henderson, the only reason he didn't feature in the Six Nations because he was injured. And um, with Paul O'Connell's retirement, I think there's every chance that had he been fit, he would have been starting in the second row with Devon Toner in the Six Nations. So that's one. Um, uh, you'd have to say it's a great coaching achievement when you lose your first choice out half. Uh, and you bring in Paddy Jackson, he plays as well as he did. I think I don't think you can say that Ireland wouldn't have won that game had Johnny Sexton been at out half. You know what I mean? I think I think I think Ireland still would have won the game had Johnny Sexton been at out half. Be quite confident in that. You're right. It would have been interesting to see what would have happened had Rob Carney been fit, had Dave Carney been fit, had Luke Fitzgerald been fit, etc. How that backline might have been aligned. But whatever you say, you have to say about it, there would have been lots of others, like I said earlier, who would have wanted Stuart McCloskey out here, who maybe would have wanted to see Tierno Halloran full back or whatever the Connacht backs brought into it. Um, he made his choices. He broke up a midfield partnership that he really likes and favours because um, Jared Payne has been so important to Ireland that, and that 
key pivotal outside centre defensive position in his communication, his execution of the tackle. And whenever he's not been there, Ireland have had issues in those outside channels. You think back to Twickenham, you think against Argentina. So he decided to go with that and make Payne his fullback. And it, it caused relatively little reshuffle in terms of those individual players who were all playing in the positions they favour, even it meant that the back line was realigned. So yes, his hand was to a degree forced, but in the heat of the hunt, he got the team absolutely right, got the t- tactics right, the players performed, and it was a great win. So it doesn't really, it, it's no point, I don't think, in saying that Joe Schmidt somehow got lucky, because, you know, you make your own luck. Jerry, as we record, there's no final word just yet on CJ Stander, the hearing, the appeal on his red card. I've looked at it a million times, and I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I think it was a red card, to be honest. Um, yeah, do, do you not? Um, it's funny, I've, I've very rarely known a red card to so polarise opinion. Um, many people think absolutely cut and dried red card, many others don't. Um, most South African observers over here thought it was a little bit harsh. The crowd, of course, were baying for it, but that's, you'd, you'd expect that. You know, um, a South African-born player coming back to play for his first test against his native country. He's, you know, any chance for him to be the pantomime villain will be accepted. So... Put it this way, I think that um, I've seen players go up in the air before. I don't, if he'd gone, if he hadn't turned, he might have caught uh, Lambie with his knee in the head, which would be even worse. I think that um, it was unfortunate. I think it was reckless. Maybe, he should have, maybe you could say they did duty care and he, he could have avoided contact. I do think that it was, a, unlike the officials, I think it was a genuine attempt to make a block down. No doubt about that. He jumps up with his hands fully extended, so he is trying to affect a charge down. I I doubt very much he meant to do what he did um, in that sense. I don't think it was, there was intent there. I don't think it was malicious. I saw some, some clearing out, uh, quote-unquote, by South African players. I saw him leading with the forearm by South African ball carriers. Vermeulen, uh, almost every time Dwayne Vermeulen led with the forearm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this yeah. is, yeah. But the, this, uh, yeah, then no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm yeah, just yeah. making the point on that, that, you know, we've got to be selecting what is t- intent here and what should be stamp- what brought out of the game and what shouldn't be. I think that... Contributory factors were the fact that Lambie was laying down the ground. I think contributory factors were that if Lambie hadn't been injured and lying down the ground, that lawn would be got up. Would the French referee have reacted the way he did? I think they're all contributory factors. And I think that definitely slow motion replays are contributory factors. I think definitely the fact that the game was in Newlands and not in the Aviva was a contributory factor. The, the referees, in, you know, feeling all these pressures, they're human and they're coming down. Into, I thought at the time it would be yellow. I was a bit surprised it was red. That was my view. I certainly think a red card and missing the last hour of the game was certainly plenty. Uh, plenty of punishment for him. That was, you know, it was it was severe punishment in the circumstances. Well, this, uh, you know, the argument that the referee reft consequences as opposed to the tackle, and also what you said there about it looking bad when it slowed down. It did look bad in real time as well, to be honest. And it was one of those ones where you're almost waiting for the replay to see was that is that what happened? You know, let's see exactly what happened there. And of course, everything looks looks probably a little bit worse again when it's slowed down. But it wasn't one of those incidents where it, it looked like a nothing incident. And suddenly, you slow it down a million times, and it's and it's bad. I thought it was interesting that the ref, like when the ref was explaining his decision, he said he had no chance to charge down the ball. It's very dangerous with the hip in the face. I think that when you're looking at it, I mean, he was okay. He's got his hands extended, but he's not particularly close to actually executing the charge down. And he ultimately can't stop himself from slamming straight into the face of the, you know, of the opposing player. I would have thought if you're looking at what you have to stamp out in the game, a tackle like that would be would be one of them. 
Yeah, that's a viewpoint. Um, I okay. I didn't see that. I only saw it on the big screen um, because yesterday was a travel day and I had so much to ride. And I've been busy doing other things this morning. I mean, I'm hoping to sit down and watch that game in its entirety this afternoon. If there's not too much to write again, but um, and I'd like to see that instant the way you have. Um, I've only seen it on the big screen at the match at the time, and I I just go by initial reaction. I didn't think it was going to be red. I thought it looked like a very genuine attempt to charge the ball down. You're saying he was too far away from the ball to actually affect the charge down was more a token gesture. Well, I'm just saying that if you're going to try and charge a guy down and you you, you don't make it, you've then and it, it seems as though certainly the referee didn't think he actually had a chance to make the charge. And I'm sure when he went for it, he thought he did. But it, it's up to him then to... You know, people are saying that he can't possibly get out of the way, he can't stop his momentum, but that's his his problem and his fault. He's the one who's actually launched himself into the air like a missile. Oh, I don't know if he launched himself into the air like a missile. He jumps up, yeah, he follows through. You've got a point there. I, I genuinely thought it looked to me like at the time that he made a genuine attempt to block the ball down. Sure, you were saying, yeah, you were saying that opinions were polarised on this, and I'd agree with that looking at Twitter and looking at the articles afterwards. Um. But is there a certain instance in any sport, and particularly in rugby, where you just can't tell? People are talking about intent. You definitely can't tell with that particular situation whether there's any intent or there isn't. And sometimes, sometimes things are so millisecond and so unusual. It was an unusual sort of contact, a hip to a head, a follow-through. Um, but ultimately, when there's that much doubt and a guy gets hit in the head, and that's one of the main issues in the game, and I would say the same for Henshaw. I think he could have got a red. I thought that, I can't remember who tackled Keith Earls. That's probably a red. You lead with your arm or your, your elbow towards somebody's forehead as, as you're running with the ball. Maybe that's a red. I mean, maybe if we just clamp down on this and go really hard for six months or a year, and players just don't do it anymore. And then also, I think the, the knock-on effect of that is people defenders who are charging at somebody and not worrying too much about whether they make it just before he passes the ball or just after he passes the ball. There's that millisecond in their head where they go, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it here and I may get a red card. And it slows down defences and makes defenders think a little bit more and makes the game a little bit better to look at. Hard to dispute with any of the, any of the points you make there. And you could probably add in the way um, players hit rocks uh, and dive into rocks like human missiles yep. and clearly aiming at players who are already on the ground. I think you could stamp that out of the game too. Wouldn't go, wouldn't be remiss at all because somebody's going to get seriously injured one, one of the days from that tactic. Yeah, sw- swinging your leg at a loose ball on the ground when there's a player on the ground is another lethal occasion that yes. doesn't seem to get refereed all that harshly. Yeah, we saw that with, with Conor Murray and I remember I interviewed him the week after and the stitches were uh, so, so, so close to his eye. It wasn't funny. It was, you're right, that's going to be... That's another one that I think player, players could have a duty of care. But in all of these things, Simon, you're right. It, this has to come from World Rugby. They've got to provide the leadership in this. It's up to them to make very clear um, law changes in the game to make this come, for all of this to come into effect. The leadership has to come from them. Jerry, brilliant stuff. Hopefully the second test will go as well as the first. Thanks so much. Cheers. It's Ireland by five points, 22 to 17. It's available here now. Ireland inching their way towards the 22. Mike McCarthy would never hold on to it as he tried to pass it. McCarthy for Ireland. It's back with Luke Fitzgerald to mind the fancy stuff. We have 30 seconds remaining. Back there, the referee's whistle has gone. It's a penalty for New Zealand. Oh, I don't believe it. It's about possession. You crossed this line. Do you find it hard to see it when we turn the night?
drive him over. Now Murray clears it away. Best. And he's over. Murray Best. They've got two. Hang about the All Blacks can court score some special tries. You won't see a better one than that this year. What a build-up. chance, one spin of the dice for both teams as New Zealand have it now, back with Aaron Smith, towards Cruden to Kieran Reid, Kieran Reid tries to get around Kevin McLaughlin, he's brought play inside the Ireland half of the pitch, across on that far side it's with Ben Smith, time is up here, New Zealand desperately trying to get their hands on the ball, back at Manano, Manano now gets it free towards Ryan Cruddy, inside the 22 metre line, New Zealand sweeping in to Cruden, Cruden in the midfield possession to Frank Seas, Stopped there in his tracks by Jamie Heaston. He doesn't release. Back with Aaron Smith. New Zealand have numbers now across on the far side of the pitch as they go away with this one and cut through the cover. There's massive defence by Ireland. They're trying to gather this one back. Four yards short to the line. It's come back to Van Anu. Mano comes with it. Darcy tackles him to ground. The man from the Land Zone Club with uh, New Zealand now to have it. Swept it back to Cruden. Moves it out on the near side towards Dane Coles. Get through the cover. New Zealand through Ryan Crotty. Get in for the try on the near side of the pitch. Oh, yeah, I don't believe it. Ryan Crotty scores! Oh, my goodness! They've managed it. It's 22 each. I'm going to labour the Jared point even further, Simon. Uh, to go back to yeah. Jared, <laughs> I just think he was. I don't know why I'm calling him by his first name. Well, you know, when a sports person really impresses you, that's what you do. He's friend. won your heart. He's won my heart, has Jared. He, yeah, he was just just super. The offloads were incredible, and uh, he just Sonny seems Bill Williams esque. Yeah, as Jerry says, he seems to have time in the ball, and a player like that, if you if you can seem to have time in the ball at 13, if when you're playing fullback. That sort of that sort of skill is has an added value because you do actually have more time in the ball. Yeah, you have more options as well. Uh, you decide the direction the play is going to go. You decide whether you're going to kick it, um, and also the players on your team have longer to read what you might do. And the offloads were brilliant, but Andrew Trimble certainly took one before the Conor Murray try. I think it was Trimble again. I think there was three of those brilliant out-the-back offloads, and I think two of them were to Trimble. But there's one thing, having your hand ready to do that and the skill to do it while you're being mangled in a tackle, but it's <laughs> another for, the, for your teammate to hold his depth and hold his pace and then just burst onto the ball. Okay, that, yeah, because that's, that's kind of an interesting point, because I was going to ask you, right, how much do you think how Payne played was by, to the letter of the law, the Joe Schmidt law, or... Was there an element of pain saying, right, well, I'm getting a lot of stick uh, for my play at 13. I'm not doing a whole lot wrong. I'm playing in the position that I've played most of my rugby in. So I'm, I'm presuming that that's his favourite position at fullback. That he's actually just, that he decided he was just going to go out and play the game that he, he knows. And, you know, with, with a, if Schmidt thinks that offloading is a risk, then he says, right, well, I'm going to calculate the risk and I'm going to make decisions myself rather than uh, rather than hang around and say, right, well, safety first. I, let's not make any mistakes at fullback. Let's actually try and impact the game here. 
I mean, how much do you would you ascribe to pain? Well, and this maybe is being very unfair on Joe Schmidt. I mean, he you know he went out, he sent a team out there. They played a certain way. They they won the game. But how much of it would you ascribe to pain, and how much of it would you ascribe to an evolution in Schmidt's thinking about what we do when we have the ball? Well, we've spoken to a few ex-Leinster players who played under Joe, Shane Horgan, Shane Jennings, a few others, and they said absolutely the licence was always there to offload, and certain players did it. Brian O'Driscoll did it, obviously Shane did it, Shane Jennings did it. But their argument would be that a lot of the players just don't have the skill to it or the awareness to do it or just that presence of mind as you're getting hit to do it. Jared Payne has always done it in New Zealand and Ulster, and he's always played better full-back. I think he just felt better about himself and therefore those offloads were more likely to come. He felt freer in his best position. I genuinely don't think Joe Schmidt says to players, you can never offload or don't do it unless you're 100% sure. Yeah, but, but what I, mean, I, what if, I do if, think he does, I think he, say, he puts so much pressure on players that they're afraid of the, him giving out to them afterwards. And that's, for certain types of personalities, it doesn't suit them because they're thinking about the don'ts instead of the do's. And then for somebody like Jared Payne, that obviously doesn't apply. But now that this has succeeded, you wonder... Will this change other players' opinions of what they can do? Will it change Josh Schmidt's opinions of what his own players can do? It's just a very quick word in the under-20s. Uh, we're glossing over it a little bit, but to beat New Zealand at any level is incredible. And at to any do it, level? Yeah, and again, deservedly. Yeah, oh, completely deservedly. And again, Nigel Carroll and the coach, what a year he's had with Connacht <laughs> and now with the under-20s. Uh, they came back from 16 or 70 points down against Wales to win the try that essentially won them the game against Wales I don't know if anybody saw this it was, yeah, amazing, it was going around yeah. Twitter and YouTube um, three or four offloads to score in the corner uh, and then the rugby again against New Zealand in horrendous conditions I mean both teams were knocking the ball on on occasions because it was mm. really wet but ultimately and I've heard a lot of New Zealand coaches say this that in wet weather actually the skills become more important both teams are going to make more mistakes but ultimately skill still wins it um, and he's just infused that team with such a level of confidence to back themselves and it's Ford's doing a lot of the offloads which is something we've discussed about the difference between northern and southern hemisphere rugby and the thing about it as well was it had that horrible feeling like in all Ireland-New Zealand games where New Zealand came back at them and you just got this creeping sense it was going to slip away from them again and they had loads of chances to lose it or to worry about it or think about Ireland's record against New Zealand so all those things were they faced up to all those things and still came back and won it with good rugby. Ken Early has made it out of Marseille, safe and sound. He's in Paris, and he can tell us now what's on today's Irish Times second captain's Euro 2016 podcast game. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you known? I'd like to stay alive. Oh, I'd like to have a good evening. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I'm down to Anfield. What are you doing down here, you showing me, man? It's here, Owen. Uh, we've had complaints from listeners saying that the Daily Podcast is not a daily. We meant week daily. This is the European Football Championships. We have to comply with EU working time directives. That means <laughs> we literally can't work seven days, although we dearly would love to do a podcast every single day, but we are doing it every weekday uh, in compliance with EU law, and today, Owen, Ireland uh, played their first game in that European Championships. Uh, it's against Sweden, it's at uh, the Stade de France, it's uh, really a, a more beautiful occasion, Owen, is difficult to imagine, and uh, we spent most of our time talking about that, and also quite a lot of time talking about um, the various ructions and uh, uproar happening in Marseille over the uh, previous few days. 
All right, lovely stuff. Enjoy the game tonight there, Ken. And we do recommend that you both listen to that podcast. Lots of great stuff in there. And also read Ken's excellent written piece on the trouble in Marseille on irishtimes.com. Oshin McConville has slid into studio here. Oshin, are you getting to enjoy the Euros yourself? Yeah, I've seen a good bit of them so far. Um, the Ulster Championship has sucked most of the energy out of me. <laughs> but, uh, there's, a, there's a little light on there in the background. Yeah, uh, you're, you're still reminding yourself that sport can, sport can <laughs> bring joy to the world. <laughs> Even though you've attended every single game of the Ulster Championship so far this year, you're, there's still joy there. Yeah, I was, I was very actually very, very worried about Ken, um, if he was still stuck in the middle of the trouble, but I think... No, no, we got him out. <laughs> he's, he's, we yeah. airlifted him out on yeah, uh, he, Saturday night. Yeah, he's swanning around Paris now like like nobody's business, so <laughs> he's all good, he's all good. Listen, we've, we'll probably have to give Cork a bit of a shooing here, but before we do that, yeah. the praise for Tipperary, this is a game. I hadn't realised how short they were of players as well, O'Reardon isn't around, there's a couple of players gone to America, they've had injuries... So it's not even like you've got your county at full strength and yet they go and turn Cork over for the first time in 72 years? Since 1944, yeah. yeah the last championship <laughs> match last year, um, of the 21 players that were used in that game, 11 of them are gone. Like, talk wow. about, you know... Because um, I imagine when Liam Cairns went in and took over that job, you know, there was a lot of um, positivity around that Tipperary cr- um, crew. He did, did done well minors on the 21s. Um, Colin O'Reardon missing was was obviously you know he knew that going in but you know he wouldn't have known about the rest of the, mm-hmm. about all those players that he was going to have missing um, he's done really really well with that particular bunch I want to talk about Tipperary love I love to talk about Tipperary and, and how how well they've done and yet in the back of me head I'm, it's niggling at me that you know you know where has Cork football gone last like 2010 they won the All-Ireland I think um, six years on they're a sh- pale shadow of what they were you mm-hmm. know and that was a team that I felt that that team should have dominated football Tipperary um, have done really really well with the resources they have you know and uh, it's very very difficult for them because uh, I spoke to a guy yesterday who will remain nameless uh, he's of the small ball variety. Who, who, you know, he probably wasn't um, all that enthused by seeing them winning yesterday, even though he was happy for them, uh, because it causes problems for the hurlers. Because hurling is number one, and when you're working in a county where hurling is number one, it's very, very difficult um, to to master both. And I think that's what Tipperary have tried to do. Um, it has caused a lot of rows within the county. Um, three players have gone to um, and committed to the Horland team this year away from the footballers and the days of dual players seems to be more or less gone at this stage but uh, well, the days of dual count- I mean, <laughs> Cork dual were counties, Cork yeah. were one of the great dual counties and now they can't Cork can't feel the <clears throat> strong team in either football or hurling and it's yeah. bonkers. Yeah, I mean, so it, Tipper, it did, so Tipper doing amazingly to yeah. be able to uh, have a, a football team who can pull off a shot. Yeah, and I think you know, I, I, I think that if, if as you say, you're, you're, it's a fully tooled up Tipperary team that beat Cork. In ways, it'd be easier to make Tipperary the story today yeah. because you could say, right, well, they won the Ireland Minor Championship in 2011. Uh, they've won uh, under 21. Uh, they've been good at that level for a number of years. It's bubbling under. This was coming. This is a story. This is about Tipperary. But actually, if you look at that level of turnover and the fact that they've lost, you know, it's not even you they know probably lost first. five of the best players. Yeah, out of that eleven. Yeah, you know? and you know, in a bizarre kind of way, that means 
it's nearly Cork that's the story today because Tipperary did, uh, like, obviously played absolutely brilliantly yesterday. Uh, it's a huge achievement, like a, a brilliant managerial coup by Kearns, uh, you know, a, a brilliant effort by the players. But, I mean, they won two games in Division 3 this year. I mean, they finished sixth and they, they missed relegation to yeah. Division 4 by so, the skin of their teeth. So what you're saying is there's a f- almost a freakish nature to this victory that, because I wanted to hold Tipperary up today as yeah. the example for every other county to follow, every other sort of lower level county yeah. to follow. But actually, one hundred percent, they, they sh- absolutely are. They are right. in every conceivable way are if they had managed to hold on to the guys they lost to the Tipperary hurlers, or you know the international rules think that's going to hurt Tipperary obviously a lot more than you know a Kerry losing a talented minor or something like that to international rules or Dublin, but. Like, they have done everything right. But that doesn't take away from the fact that over the last three or four months, they've had a lot of injuries, they've lost players to emigration, they've lost players to Aussie rules, and they've lost players to the hurlers. So, uh, definitely, they've done so many things right over the last ten years. And if this, if you take what happened yesterday as a reward for what they've done over the last ten years, absolutely, absolutely, that's that's been a... And, you know, you could say that... The, the mentality that those players have had because they've been winning games at minor level and at under-21 level, that that was a huge contributing factor to yesterday, and I'm sure that it was. But I don't think you can get away from the fact that this is by no means the best tipper, the best 15 footballers that Tipperary have at their disposal that went out and beat Cork, uh, you know, like should really have hammered Cork yesterday as opposed to, you know, playing on. And it don't seem like a team that's lacking any sort of belief. I mean, even watch Clonmel beating Nemo Rangers in the the club championship, although, you know, (laughs) it was quite a smash and grab. But at the same time, all those players seem to be playing with a huge amount of confidence. And you could see that yesterday because this is not one of those ordinary victories where it's a shock victory. I mean, there were nine points up um, and they were pegged back, and then to go ahead and 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 win that game again by two points, kick the last two points of the game, shows not just character but a huge amount of belief. And and you know, that's not just coming from the last twelve months. That's coming from what they've done and what they've put into uh, underage football over the last five, six, seven years. And that's definitely coming to fruition now. But imagine if they could have could augment that team with five or six top class with the guys intercounty that, footballers yeah, yeah. with the guys that they've worked that, they, yeah, that they've, they've you know, invested in invested yeah. in hugely developed uh, nurtured well, how high a standard are those guys I mean are those guys well, I mean, uh, enough to that they'd be making a difference against Kerry in the final for example well I mean I'd, I'd, that's you know you're, if you're talking about Kerry I mean you know Galway Meads you know counties like that don't have a chance against Kerry so I mean <laughs> I think Kerry is another level but I mean if you're talking about if they lose to Kerry in the Munster final, they're in the last twelve. They'll play a team that you know will have come through the quali- three rounds or two rounds or whatever. So in round four of the qualifiers, effectively, they'll be playing, you know, a good quality team. Mm. I mean, if you're if you throw all those guys back into that Tipperary team, then I think they've they would have an excellent chance of winning that game and getting to an Ireland quarter final, which is where you know, which is the you, that's you know that's the the Division One. You know, that's you're in the top eight teams in the country. That's you know, that's where you want to be. Yeah. And I, you know, they probably would be good enough for, from what we saw yesterday and from what we've seen from these players over the last couple of years. The players that they've that they've lost, 
I mean, you know, you're talking about a top eight team. I mean, that's that, that would be amazing. They ship a lot of scores. That's the only thing that's going right. to really, really hurt them down the lane when they come up against a little bit better quality. Yeah, I mean, even even goal they put up a huge score against them in the that's qualifiers right, yeah. last year. You know, that's. Yeah, I get the sense that you or two years ago. Sorry. Are you annoyed by Cork? Are Cork a team that annoys No, I'm finished being annoyed with them. Are you? I've been annoyed with them now for about three or and four I s- years. And I say annoy- annoyed in the sense that people look at this county and see such a massive pool of, wa- talent. Pool of talent that you can pick from. And they've done it different ways. They, For a lot of years, they picked the Nemo Rangers guys and, and then you know, after that, they sort of went to, there was a period where they seemed to go around and pick junior, junior players. Yeah. And they had a bit scouring the county and when they won the All-Ireland, they maybe won or two of those guys. And they just, whatever, they just can't find anybody, which is which is incredible. Yeah, and, and the thing, I just think the thing, the, the whole management thing and the whole structures down there seem to be, seem to be way off. Conor Coonan, they went from Conor Coonan to somebody who was in his backroom team, to Peter Healy, to no disrespect to him, but... Uh, it didn't feel as if it was something you could you could really you know hang your hat on as you were as a cog player that you could really say right this year's going to be different. It's just very same same. They don't even seem to be getting too annoyed by it. I mean, after the game, uh, one of his Palahili's quotes is, "I'm not going to get too annoyed with the players, but we'll reassess and we'll get back into the qualifiers." Maybe it was time to you know let a few throw a few grenades in and see what. What happens to see if that could wake in the map possibly? Uh, they look completely dead behind the eyes, and um, for a team who, as I say, I'm not talking twenty years ago. Like I'm talking six years ago. With, were, you know, obviously there are a lot of experienced players on that team that they have lost. But yeah, they have. Still, yeah, they're like there's still a lot of players that are just in every other level of football. Be that club, be that Sigerson under twenty one. They've won eleven monster titles. Since in this century, since the turn of the millennium, like they, like they keep producing players good enough to be carried. You know, you know what you're saying about they lost a lot of experienced players. They didn't all just go at once. Like yeah. it was like you know, they lost them in, in ones and twos. And you think Cork surely have the resources to replace one or two players at a time, even if it's not with the same quality initially, or you have to take some sort of hit for it initially. But Jesus, the, the the curve is just down. The curve has been down and is going to continue to go down. Because honestly, on when I look at them, I don't know if they care. I don't. That's what I. That's what I think. You know, when I when I watched them last night after the game, did they look devastated to me? I'm sure they're a wee bit hurt. I'm sure their pride was hurt. I'm sure they were embarrassed, maybe a little bit. But uh, I just don't think they care enough. Yeah, well, there's no way back then, is there? If you don't care enough, you're not suddenly going to start caring for the qualifiers. There's, there's no way back for them this year. I mean, there's a way back for them. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I should say I meant yeah, this season. I mean, yeah, abs- not saying- absolutely. No, <laughs> I'm going to write them all forever. Completely dead forever. And, and I'll throw the herders in as well. Nothing yeah. is ever going to happen for Cork GA again. No, I just mean I just mean this season. Yeah, I think this season, I think it's pretty much, you know, it's pretty much over for them. I mean, they they may pick up a win or two in, in the qualifiers, but even Who that... fear is getting Cork Even now? that's hard to yeah. see right now. Yeah. Even that's hard to see. Cork's probably not a bad team to get for a lot of the, a lot of the you know... Oh, any, weaker, and, a lot of counties who can still see Cork as a scalp. You know, it's yeah, nice, yeah. good for a manager to get a win over Cork for players, and actually, it's not that hard to. Yeah, a louder of a man or somebody that could, yeah, exactly, could have yeah, realistic yeah. aspirations. <laughs> of, of yeah, like them. I mean, it is like that's absurd. You know, like that yeah. that's absurd. But I mean, if 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 they had to go out in the qualifiers next week in six days from now. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, they, they're not in to skip, round yeah. two of the qualifiers. But, I mean, if they were out in the qualifiers next week, 
God, who who like who'd be afraid of them? You know. Yeah, you're at Donegal for Mana. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned that. How? What, anything new from Donegal? No, same, same, right. same, same. And uh, the only thing I would say about yesterday is that there was an inevitability with the actual result. You always felt as if Donegal were going to get over the line. Uh, for Mana, we're going to put it up to them at stages, which they did. I think the penalty. We might have seen a little bit more from Donegal if the penalty had went in. Um, uh, Donegal's not in a brilliant position going in against Monaghan now. Uh, they've lost Neil McGee. Frank McGlynn looked as if he did something with his hamstring on the way off. Uh, if you look at... I looked at the substitutions yesterday. So they took Rory, uh, Rory Kavanaugh off after 15 minutes, replaced him with Leo McLoon. At half-time, they replaced Leo McLoon with Rory Kavanaugh. They brought on Mark McHugh, who's probably the youngest of those guys, Christy Toy, Colin McFadden. We're not, you know, there's not really a sprinkle in the youth. Owen McHugh started yesterday and did quite well. Brings an injection of pace into the thing, but Murphy obviously was injured, so, you know, he was he was plodding along as he normally does. He put in a shift for them, but uh, unless they just thought that we're going to get over for Mana, that's the only thing. That's the only thing I can cling on to as far as Donegal is concerned. Because if they play like that against Mana, and Mana will eat them. Alive. Yeah, they've been the least impressive team of the four that have gone yeah. that have gone through to the Ulster semi-finals without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, was there anything to be lost by uh, Gallagher throwing in a few of the guys that we've seen? You know, even bit parts in the league, but. I mean, you know, maybe he felt the game was still in the melting pot. I mean, once the second goal went in, the go- the game was the game was effectively yeah. over. I mean, surely there ha- there has to be there has to come a time when the, he's he's going to give those younger players their head and j- just give them twenty five minutes in a in a championship game in front of like fifteen thousand people in yeah. Ballywood. This is championship football. This is the whole. I, this is the reason why we're training. Well, if I feel if they're going to continue to play the way they've played um, over the last number of years, they've a lot of players breaking down. Carol Lacey probably won't play any part. Neil Gallagher probably won't play any part in Championship. Um, they look like a team who are, it's probably the wrong word, but a little bit bored by the system that, they've, that, they've, that they're playing, just continuing to do that. Again, there was a couple of times where Frank Midlin and Owen McHugh offered a little bit of an injection of pace into the into the attack, but otherwise it's the same as what we've seen over the last uh, four or five years. Um, I just think that unless he's got something up his sleeve that he's that he's keeping for, like one of the things I thought yesterday was that Michael Murphy was obviously injured, uh, but he never spent one minute. Of, of the game yesterday at full forward so I imagine right. the holding that back I imagine that's something mm. that's going to happen against Monaghan um, but even that it's hardly uh, no it's, it's, it's not a, it's not what, rocket oh, science oh Jesus Michael Murphy's yeah. got yeah. interest what, yeah. no, you know, the, it's, a, it's a good tactic but it's not so, anything so Patrick McBrady spent the majority of the time in his own uh, inside his own half and he was the only player that did that you know contrary to that on the other side for Mana at stage of nobody inside at mm. all um, I think there's one point in the game where uh, they get a free. Tomas Corrigan takes the free. They're 60 yards from goals. He plays it to Sean Quigley, and Sean Quigley kicks a point for 55 yards. And that was their two full forwards. That was their two pronged attack. And inside, there was nobody else. If the ball falls short, you know, Donegal come out. 
det er Mads Paul Dorkin. Uh, yeah, did McGinley had a, uh, 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 should say kick the couple over the sideline. Yeah, the, the, he, he had a really good game on. as far as you know. His shot stopping was very good. He looked sharp off his lane, all that sort of thing. He but, probably wouldn't have to save another shot in the championship, though. Yeah. Goalie, I mean, you know, goalies get about three shots a, a year to save. So yeah, but his, his kickouts a little bit not that dissimilar to Roscommon. He seemed to have like I, like the movement was quite good for kickouts, but he just couldn't execute it. You know and. That's a major problem if a lot of your game plan is based around winning initial possession. All right, well, Shane, there's a lot of Euro 2016 action to watch today, so we'll let you go. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. <laughs> I like that turn of phrase from Ushin, the Cork team. Dead behind the eyes. Hmm. Uh, I, I, we have been speaking to Oshin now. I think this is like a bit of a recurring theme. But there's a real frustration out there, I think, amongst a lot of people at what's happened to Cork football over the last five or six years. I mean, Jim McGuinness wrote a piece as well, like uh, just a couple of weeks. I think his first column in the Irish Times this summer was about Cork, as in, when are you guys going to stand up and actually do something here, you know? Um, at this stage... If uh, I don't know what uh, Jim McGuinness fancies doing in the next uh, three or four years. I mean, I think he was asked whether he'd manage another county other than Donegal. I think he pretty much ruled it out. Mm-hmm. But I think Cork needs someone like that. They need they need a guy who will just completely revolutionise how they think about football because at the moment, nothing that they've tried has has paid off. I mean, if you watch Sigurdsson football over the last four or five years, it's you know, there's nothing but Cork players. Playing Sigerson. I mean, like they're, uh, the level of quality uh, around Cork is as good as anywhere else. I would say. I mean, they just produce footballers all the time, and yet it when it comes to summertime, they just can't do it. And I mean, I'm sure, like as Ushin was saying, I'm sure they are hurt. I'm sure their pride is hurt. But I mean, I don't know what can happen to their. I, I don't know what external motivating factor could possibly get something out of this core team. I mean, hatred, indifference, uh, you know, no, nothing seems to, to to motivate these guys to do something different to what they've done over the last five years since they won that All-Ireland in 2010. And, like, it it kind of, you know, you kind of fall back on the, these arguments. Oh, well, you know, amateur players, all the rest, you know. But at some stage, you have to say, you know, you're just underperforming to it. And un- to a level that's just unacceptable to any of your supporters, and that's unfortunately where Cork are. Well, one Cork. thing, yeah, w- yeah, one aspect that could potentially drive them. I know sometimes you think this is a bit cliched, but cri- if if they happen to be listening to this chat we've just had with Ushin and yeah. they hear Ushin McConville saying they don't care, and other people, I'm sure, are are making similar points. People in their own county, I, I would say, would be hammering them if they're not too apathetic about it at this yeah. stage. And that is that is motivation for all sports people. I kind of get the sense GA players in particular but kind, that, of, that kind of like the idea yeah. that, that how, how dare somebody say we don't care I mean oh we were, we were disorganised we just didn't play well and that's the sort of thing that can get at least a few more percent yeah. out of them no? but, that, but that's what I'm saying I mean if this was the first time that they'd been accused of not caring or being indifferent or you know a diffidence in their performance then I would say then maybe that that could have a galvanising effect but no, 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 no criticism has, has galvanised this team this group of players mm. And like, that's scary in ways. I mean, they can rise themselves to go up to Killarney and play Kerry, but there are more counties to play than Kerry. 
you know, there are other counties in existence. You know, that this, this idea that it, their, their world has shrunk to putting in a performance against Kerry and Killarney and getting a draw. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is, you know, basically the story of Cork football. I mean, there's more to it than that. And, you know, sure, they, they could go on a qualifier run. I mean, they're entering it at a stage where, you know, the three, the two defeated Ulster semi-finalists are going to be in there. Uh, but Sligo are going to be in there. Galway are going to be in there. You know, Meath probably. Like, there are, there are plenty of teams out there that they can beat in the qualifiers. But, you know, I, do, I don't know anyone that'll be putting money on them now. Mm. To do an- like, are they a quarterfinal team? As of yesterday, no chance. You may be interested to know in a bit of a postscript to our Muhammad Ali tribute last week that Jerry Eisenberg, who featured so prominently on that show and who so many said such nice things about, was last night inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame, Murph, which is a huge honour for any writer. And this is the international, so it's not just the writing. He's in just about every writing Hall of Fame there is, but this is the actual Boxing Hall of Fame, which is a huge honour for any journalist. So a big congrats to Jerry on such a great achievement. Apparently, he spoke very well about Ali and all the rest of it. Uh, last thing was last night, yes, Sunday. So, a big thanks also to Matt for tweeting me about that one, and well done, Jerry. We've podcasts coming out all over the place at the moment. Ireland Sweden preview is out. Even if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, and you're only finding out about it now after Ireland have beaten Sweden six one. Well, you can still listen to it. And just love that Robbie got on for that six goal. <laughs> yeah. Great it's just a nice moment for him, yeah. I can't believe Zlatan was sent off so early. <laughs> and, but also Ken, uh, a slightly more timeless part of that podcast is Ken's brilliant account of everything that happened in Marseille and what he made of all that, all the violence. And tomorrow, it's Tuesday, we will have post-match reaction to Ireland against Sweden with a full podcast ready to go, as we will, every day, Monday to Friday this week. Ken in Paris, obviously. Richie Sadler is going to join us tomorrow in Dublin. And we've got loads of great stuff lined up for the next few days. But so much of our enjoyment is contingent, uh, like everybody is contingent on Ireland beating Sweden. So hopefully that's happened by the time some of you have listened to this. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those 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 boys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.